You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. I'm health editor Dallas Bastian and I'm joined by Dr. Samantha Keogh from Griffith University's Menzies Health Institute Queensland to discuss the best practice use of vascular access devices. Thank you for joining me, Samantha. Thanks for having me, Dallas. The National Scientific Meeting on Vascular Access in Brisbane delved into evidence showing that there are large gaps in IV research and best practice implementation. What areas of research haven't been fleshed out enough? Um, I think the area of insertion, particularly in peripheral devices, uh, needs to be worked on more. Uh, We know that we have skills and technology, but exactly what difference they can make to the patient experience and the long-term outcomes uh, needs to be quantified. And certainly the area of failure uh, for vascular access devices, that's central and peripheral devices, that needs to be explored more. Uh, We've focused quite rightly on reducing infection and to some degree we've had big success and changes there and we wish to sustain those. But the issue of failure due to occlusion or infiltration or dislodgement or localised infection, I think until recently that was uh, unquantified and not realised and uh, now there is data on that and we really need to tackle that. And then I think there's the issue of removal. Uh, A lot of research has shown redundant IVs or just-in-case IVs and uh, when the best time is to remove an IV once it's no longer needed. The idea that where research evidence does exist, there is often a failure to implement was also discussed at the event. What's impeding evidence from, from being translated into practice? I think there's a few things. Uh, Vascular access really hasn't been owned by any one particular group or specialty um, and hopefully the establishment of a national society and having a national meeting helps bring everybody who were functioning in their own silos together so we can tackle it collectively and I think um, that team approach will certainly have more impact. Um, And then There's just the issue that people, I don't think, before realised there was a problem. If we weren't measuring it or looking at it, then you don't quite realise you have that problem. And vascular access failure um, wasn't realised until recently. And then I think people's understanding and appreciation of research just generally, understanding the levels of evidence and the powers and the methodologies that uh, have uh, or should have a stronger impact on influencing your practice. So those three elements, really. Apart from bolstering research in this area, how can the use of vascular access devices be improved? Again, I think if we if we go from the life cycle of the device, if we look at insertion, I think at better patient assessment um, and looking at better device decision-making tools. So looking at the patient, uh, seeing what uh, device is probably best for them, for their treatment and for the duration of that treatment. So patient assessment and device selection and then looking at that, who is the best person uh, to put in that device. And we know that that can influence um, the success and the the dwell time of that device. And then there's the issue of maintenance. Uh, Again, the emphasis is on patient assessment and on the assessment of the device, uh, but also on the products that we use to dress and secure the cannula once it's in and also look after it with regards to flushing. Uh, With regards to dressing and securement, we have done studies in that area and they didn't identify a definitive device to reduce failure as such, but what it did show is that 
just a simple transparent dressing wasn't good enough when compared to other more advanced dressings. So I think we know that a simple transparent dressing isn't good enough anymore. Certainly using an adjunct such as tissue adhesive or medical grade glue or using a boarded polyurethane or a sutureless securement device, uh, they're available to us and they're more likely to reduce the risk of uh, dislodgement, just falling out, and even the micro-pistoning that contributes to phlebitis and local infection. So I think that's one area that practice and products can work together to improve the vascular access experience for the patient and improve outcomes. And then there's the issue of maintaining the functioning of the catheter and that's largely down to how we administer flushing and fluids and medications. And uh, we're still working on what is the best evidence in that area. But again, our research has shown that practice is very varied and inconsistent and uh, we can look at first streamlining that and conforming to the best guidelines and I think part of that is also documenting it so that we know that nurses have assessed the patency and the functioning of the catheter regularly. And then there are also potential products like manufacturer-prepared pre-filled syringe devices that can reduce the risk of infection and contamination, uh, save time, um, reduce medication errors due to their pre-labelling and reduce damage to the vessel as well because they come in consistent properties with that of a 10 mil syringe. So there's reduced uh, risk of damage from using a smaller and higher pressure syringe. And then we come to the area of removal um, and again that sometimes ties in with should it have been in in the first place. So again we come back to patient assessment. Patient assessment is really at the root of all these areas and uh, then continuous assessment to see is it required, uh, do we still need it and when is the best time to take that out and there's been uh, a number of RCTs and a large uh, a significant Cochrane review that's demonstrated that uh, clinically indicated removal is safe and cost-effective way to manage peripheral intravenous devices uh, compared to routine removal. What impact could improving the use of vascular access devices ha have on the work nurses do and on their health system as a whole? For nurses, um, I think that they always wish to provide the best care they can for their patients, um, but they are busy, so a number of these could be time-saving. So I think if they're directed with evidence-based care and a good rationale and products that perhaps have reduced the number of steps they need to go through to deliver, um, a, to deliver a medication or a flush or manage the device, um, I think that's how it can help nurses. So reassure them that they're providing best and evidence-based and timely care. And then for the healthcare service, we know and we've done health economics evaluations that we can save um, hundreds of millions of dollars if we can preserve the functioning of the catheters. Just even within the peripheral devices, currently at the rate of about 25 million used around Australia nationally, so about 40% of those are failing and it costs about $70 to replace each PRVC, we're, we're wasting about $700 million. So if we just reduce that failure rate down from 40% to 30%, then we'll save ourselves millions of dollars and I'm sure we can get the failure rate down even lower. And then of course there's the ever-present risk of infection, uh, less so in peripherals but it's still present and we wish to make it low and there's all, uh, the risk of infection in central venous devices we know equates to hundreds of thousands of dollars in treatment of complications if a patient does 
sustain a central venous infection. And what might the future hold in terms of technology in this area? I think there's room for us to use ultrasound to guide the insertion of peripheral intravenous devices. Um, I think we know that all our patients are getting sicker and by that nature a lot of our patients will identify in the difficult to cannulate category. So again it comes back to patient assessment. I think rather than us sticking with our traditional uh, everybody gets two attempts and so the poor patient goes through uh, three, four, five, six, sometimes up to ten attempts of different individuals trying to find a vein with a blind stick. I think we need to put a stop with that, use um, a, pa a proper patient assessment tool and escalate in a timely manner. And for some patients, if we assess them when they come in that they're difficult to cannulate from the start, either because of their disease process or their treatment or because of their inherent factors, then we escalate them straight to an expert inserter who can use ultrasound to help locate their veins and insert them under ultrasound to reduce the pain and discomfort and to optimise their vessel preservation for the time that they need their treatment. So that's technology that's currently available to us now um, and I think we can always dream and our stretch goals are things that maybe um, we can have cannulas that change colour when uh, they're due to be changed or they're starting to occlude. Um, we can have pressure limiting devices that means none of our syringe, none of our bolus deliveries will cause harm to the cannula or to the vessel. Um, perhaps we can have really small portable to KVO devices that the patient can walk around the hospital uh, with and the children can play in the playroom with rather than cumbersome IV poles and administration sets. So I think there's a, a lot of room for us to move with uh, simple and quite advanced technology that can improve the experience for the patient and reduce their outcomes and in the, in the bigger picture uh, reduce the healthcare costs.